Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore, and I am black on the air. Always good to be black on the air and to be back on the air, all that kind of stuff. Um, anyhow, we have a really, uh, really fun show. You, this, this was so enjoyable. I spoke with uh, one of my favorite authors, Michael Lewis, author of The Undoing Project. But, you know, you know him from Liar's Poker, The Blind Side, Moneyball, Big Short, all those, all that stuff, so many more. And uh, he's one of the people I really enjoy reading. And we were going to talk about his book, or at least I thought we were going to talk about his book, The Undoing Project. But he really wasn't even interested in talking about that. We had a fun conversation in San Francisco last weekend um, that I think you'll enjoy. We have a lot of fun. So I love doing these live events. If any of you out there have ideas for live events or want me to come to your town or that type of thing, we'd love to do it. Black on the air on the road, man. So just, you know, you can tweet me at Larry Wilmore and uh, let me know what you're thinking. It would be fun. So I won't, I don't have much of a, of a way in for this one. I don't like to do too much for these live events. But, uh, but I will mention this. This whole <laughs> Trump is so hilarious to me, guys, as you know. But I'm starting to think that the ridiculous stuff that he does really is just a way to distract us. I really do. And I'm starting to think that maybe he is more Machiavellian than I'm giving him credit for. Um, I'm being very careful with my words. I don't want to say smarter. You know, I don't want to say clever. Okay. Um, I'm not ready to go there yet. But like this whole thing about wanting, I'm sure you guys read this, he wants to have just a random military parade. <laughs> I mean, he wants to be Kim Jong-un so bad. Uh, it is amazing to me. You know, I mean, he really is the mango Mussolini, you know, the pumpkin Putin, as we said. He's the tangerine idiot. I mean, you guys, he's all these things that we said. Um, he wants to be that that military authoritarian leader kind of nodding his head as the missiles go by. It's amazing to me. And, you know, here I am talking about it, but then there's real shit going on that this distracts us from. But this is what's going on in the news today. People are talking about this and everything. So I'm just going to say this. As the thing, I think we may start a new thing here on Black on the Air. And uh, I'll just call it shit that I think we should follow, okay? So that's a very crude way to put it, but... um. Um, shit that I think we should follow. Okay, here's what I want us to follow. Keep your eye on this story, and I'm going to find uh, some links to a couple of articles about it. But gerrymandering this year, I think, is a big issue, and there's some issues going on with gerrymandering right now, and we really need to pay attention to to what's happening and the way that these districts are being shaped, especially uh, the decisions that are being made now. And the decisions that have been made over the past 10 years, I think, has done more than almost anything to divide this country into these extreme political factions and is doing it more and more for a variety of reasons. But um, I think I want to try to find the right guest to talk about this with, though, too. But gerrymandering to me is a huge issue right now that's being underreported. And there's some great articles about it right now. People are talking about it. But Trump wants a military parade. So we have to talk about that first, right? That's what I'm saying. It's all Everything he does is such a distraction from all these other things that seem important. So the shit that we got to keep our eye on, maybe that's a better way to put it. Shit that we got to keep our eye on, right? I don't know. I'll come, I'll come up with a better way to frame this, but that's all I have right now. So right now, gerrymandering, I want us to keep our eye on that shit, all right? Let's keep our eye on that. I'll start tweeting some articles about it, and we're going to follow up on that and really see what's happening with that this year. There are other issues, too, out there, and I will follow up with other things of shit that we got to keep our eye on, Okay. That's all I got for today. Very happy that the Patriots lost the Super Bowl last week. Not really an Eagles fan, but I'm I'm kind of an anti-Patriots fan, <laughs> just like so many people. It's so sad. Patriots have more haters than anybody. Anyhow, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael Lewis. It was a lot of fun. And uh, first, let's have this quick word from one of our sponsors. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Mike, I'm so glad you're here. I was telling you backstage, I'm such a huge fan of yours that I was was listening to your talk with Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, I love how uh, you weren't giving him any play at all when he was trying to link all your books to like biblical themes. 
you know, I love how people try to ascribe more meaning. Whereas me, I personally feel that you are a fortune teller. And all of your books were warning us about right now. You know, and I think you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Liar's poker. Uh. <laughs> the blind side. <laughs> Moneyball. <laughs> the big short. I mean... And now the Undoing Project, which is, of course is about the Constitution. How did you know these things? <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I love your books because to me, you're, I love behavior. You know, I'm a writer, and I, I, I feel like all your books encapsulate some kind of behavior that's interesting, you know, whether it's about just the way that economics has a certain type of behavior because everything's related to how humans behave, and that's how economics work. And, and the Undoing Project, what's interesting is, is uh, I want you to talk about this, how with Moneyball, which is completely about upending the type of behavior you use to pick athletes, right? Yep. How the review of that kind of brought you to the Undoing Project. Sure. We, don't, uh, I mean, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. We can talk a little bit about the Undoing Project if you'd like. I feel like I'm... Oh, okay. We can I, go no, I know, this is what I, we know, Let's just be clear here. Let's yeah. clear the air. So there's 550 people here. Yes. And they sold this out before you even announced I was, my guest, yeah. I was your guest. <laughs> so, so, so just to be clear here... That, that, Are you... That, that, Hold on, Michael. Are you undoing? Yeah, I'm undoing your. Right I'm, I'm undoing your an talk. Undoing project. But, but, I, that, but that means that I am Will not. You talk about, about I'm not you your are? guest. I'm your prop. No, no, no. <laughs> No, it's not and, true. But, but not well, true. I'll do my best to seem like the not interesting one. Uh, <laughs> but, but absolutely, I'll tell you. Yes. So, so this is what happens. Well, Moneyball is a Bay Area story, right? It's about the Oakland A's. And, and, right. and, and, yeah. and the, thing that, the thing that did it for me, the thing that I thought, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I find that often I, don't, I think I know what my books are about, mm-hmm. and then I find that the readers disagree. Uh, that they they think it's about yeah. something other than what I thought it was about, right. and usually right. they're wrong, but sometimes they're right. They? Was, yeah. Well, and I thought I, what I saw that I thought was interesting in the whole Moneyball phenomenon was you had um, it was about the way people get valued. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter that they're baseball players. It's right. you've got these people who are on a jo- in a, doing a, the same job they've been doing for a hundred years, playing baseball right. the same way. They have statistics attached to every move they make uh, on the job. They have millions of people watching them who think they know exactly how to value them. Yeah. and even these people were were misvalued so badly they could build a juggernaut out of cheap ones. And and so I thought, well, if it's true of baseball players, who isn't it true of? That, and so for me, there was a universality to the story. It's a story of women in the workplace. It's, right. it's, it's the Jackie Robinson story in oh, some way. And so I thought, that's what it's about. What I never asked was myself was why. Like, why do they get misvalued? I, I, knew, right. I, understood that, I understood that the Oakland A's came along and they figured out that if you didn't trust the scouts who were just eyeballing the situation, mm-hmm. that you got, and you used statistical analysis to value the person, you got a different answer uh, and a better answer. But I didn't ever ask why those scouts, when they're eyeballing a person, misjudge the person. Right. And, and they don't always misjudge, no. but the, the way in which they misjudge is interesting because it, it usually is a very horrible way in which when that happens well right? the, you know they, yeah. the misjudgments were as as simple as a good looking player yes. was more highly valued than an ugly player yeah 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 and, and if a person that. looked like a, a baseball if a person looked like some other player they've seen yeah. in history he was more highly valued than if he looked like no one they'd ever seen before wasn't uh, i think garfield i think it was president garfield he was chosen cuz he looked like a president well well was i mean it garfield Harding, Harding, yeah, because he looked like a president. Yeah, no, so I mean, this is... Yeah, I get my white presidents confused. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> so, so, sorry, so, sorry. It was Harding! So, so... <laughs> I mean, it was so hostile, man. So, no, you guys were nice. You guys were nice. So, I mean, so Donald, Trump, Donald Trump's entire cabinet is picked this way. Yeah. Right? He, he, he yeah. says, oh, he looks like he should yes. be that person. The Rick Perry yeah, should I got not be. Guy. Yeah, Rick yeah. Perry should not be this. He's in charge of Rick the Perry nuclear arsenal. in charge of the weather. Right. 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 <laughs> so, right. So, so, anyway, so as a result, what you get when you start to pick people not by how they look, but mm-hmm. how they are which you get to through this statistical analysis, you get a bunch of people who don't look like they're supposed to look. Yeah. And the, the Moneyball, I can remember when Moneyball happened, as a book for me. I was in the Oakland A's clubhouse after a game, mm-hmm. and I was marching down the, the, the lockers, talking to each player, a different one each night. Right. And, uh, and I was sitting there waiting for the, my player. 
And it was the first time I saw the Oakland A's come out of the showers naked. And I'd never, I'd never seen them naked before. And uh-huh. it was such an unpleasant sight. They were, they were, there was just like fat rolls all over the place. They, Wait. They, they guys with professional can- baseball, baseball players. players. They, there, was a guy with, there was a guy with cankles. There was another guy who had two club feet. Uh, they, they, and and it's been like the pitching staff. No, it, uh-huh. it was it, it, that I and I thought to myself: if you line the naked bodies up against the wall and ask anybody what they're doing for a living, no one would guess they're professional athletes. Right. You know? Bowling, maybe podcast hosts. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, careful. No, yeah. but the but but so I. It's w- only funny because it's true. No. <laughs> so 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 there is a the front office says right. I say that to them and they say that this is the point. Say so we we go looking yeah. for players who don't look right because we know the market won't value them. So anyway, I write this book about this and the book comes out and. Richard Thaler, who just won the Nobel Prize in economics, and Cass Sunstein, his writing partner, reviewed it. And they said, you know, it's a charming story Mr. Lewis tells, but he doesn't seem to understand the point of it. I love someone gives you shade about this. Yeah, it's well, but, so but great. this is what reviewers do. Yes, that's uh, true. And, uh, and so, and they say, um, this all that he should have asked why mm-hmm. these scouts are misjudging these players. And then these two Israeli psychologists named Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, yes. who, uh, who back in the 70s did this work showing the way the mind misleads us when we're making these intuitive judgments, when we don't have this statistical check. And, yeah, and, and they did explain. In a way, they explained what would, have ha- what would happen in baseball without knowing anything about baseball. And it's fascinating, their story. They're like the nerdiest buddy comedy ever, like those two. You seem to have such an affection for them in the book, too, and just their personalities as well as, as what they were doing. It was a love story. Yeah. I mean, that's why. It was I, a true bromance. It was, it was the Holly, when the book came out, the Hollywood Reporter called me and said, could you give us, if the book was being sold, there was an auction in the movies uh-huh. and, and in the movie business. And they said, what's the one-line elevator pitch? Uh, for for how this movie works, and I uh-huh. said it's Brokeback Mountain, but they fuck each other's ideas, and and, and and that's exactly how it worked. That's exactly how it worked. They were they had, the, 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 I just can't quit this equation. There you go. <laughs> you can see my mind searching for the right no, one. Right? No. That's still not the best one yet. There's, yeah. a, there's a better one out there. Yeah. Stuff came out of these guys and yeah. it enabled them to interact with each other in a way they interacted with nobody else. Yes. And uh, they kind of fe- feeding off each other kind of brought them to, to these sorts of things. They even share credit on certain uh, papers and things like that. Well, they, they did. They traded off credit, I guess you could say. They flipped a coin to right. say who would be first, the first name on the paper and then they just alternated, which yeah. this is, there are all kinds of things that are hugely important to academics that are not important to anybody else and, and why it's important to academics, I don't know, but whose name comes first on the paper matters. Oh, they're assholes about that. Oh my God, yeah. They, they, if you think Buddhist coaches are assholes about yeah, that. Nah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so, so the, their idea, I read their papers uh-huh. and i thought what was God. your first impression of it yeah. well academic papers aren't really designed to be read uh so so you have to get yeah. past that uh and right. and look for what the ideas are yeah and it was there was such a richness to the things they were saying and I, that they had kind of what they had done they're the first people to really scientifically study what was going on in the human mind yeah. and they did it by giving them Essentially, what they did is they found cool little tests to give people, which were often statistic, kind of thinly disguised statistics tests. They're kind of sneaky. Very sneaky. Very so, sneaky. So here, I'll give you an example of the kind of thing they did. This is a, it's a, uh, they, were, they had this idea they wanted to test that people, you could distract someone's judgment of a situation, mm-hmm. but just throwing information at them up front that had nothing to do with it. a number uh, at them up oh, front. Yeah, you could, that you, if, if I say a billion before I say the next thing, right. you're going to start thinking bigger than it. You know, that, so you I'm could, at a trillion already. Right. 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 right, right. It's right. right. So, so they, they built a wheel of fortune and it had a hundred slots and it was numbered zero to a hundred or zero to 99. And they had brought people into a room and they had them spin the wheel of fortune right. and, it, and the thing lands on a number. And then they asked them, what percentage of the countries in the United Nations come from Africa? 
And the people who spun one or zero guessed a much lower number than the people yeah. who spun 99, which is crazy. But every used car salesman kind of knows this too, sure. that if you start high, you know, start, Donald Trump knows this. You know, he's always starting with, it was the biggest ever. And then he negotiates down to, well, it was okay. Uh, but, but, but it's, it's a, but, but their, their, their insight, their insight was it doesn't even have to be the information you're giving someone yes. doesn't even have to be relevant to the task. It's not the price of the car. You could say there are a billion stars in the sky. Let's talk about the price of the car and, and the price gets higher. It, yeah, there's the old uh, kind of stunt, not a joke, but you tell people to spell stop and then spell pots and then spell stop. What do you do at a green light? They go, stop. And say, no, go. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's all they can hear. You heard that one. We all heard it as kids and everything. But I know in the book you talk about a reference point was something, too, that there's a people use reference points for things and, and that sort of thing. And, and it's how you judge where you are in something. Um, so... You know, this book was written 18 months ago, and I'm a little vague on the details now. Okay, but but I, I think what you get now, and it, it was interesting. They 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 were they they showed the way they were really interested in the way people's uh, approach to risk changed depending right. on whether they thought they were starting from a losing position or <laughs> yes. a winning position. Yeah. So if you start someone, you give someone the exact same bet to choose to make a choice about. And you start them out, they're winning. You're up a thousand bucks instead of down a thousand bucks. They're risk averse. They, they won't. They won't take an even bet. They, they'd rather not gamble. Right. Where you start people down a thousand bucks, and you give them an even bet, they'll take it. They'll take even a worse than an even bet because they're trying to get back to even is what they guessed. But the point is that this kind of risk, that, that kind of risk loving, they associated with a feeling of starting from a losing position, mm-hmm. which is again, I think. Like a little insight into the soul of our president. Uh, I think in some odd way, he walks through the world, that he's risk loving. He's starting, that he's walking through the world feeling like I'm starting from a losing position. Uh, But but anyway, they they weren't talking about our president. They were talking about, they were trying to just analyze the way people made choices and gambles. I think everything in this book relates to Trump. That's a, lot of it do, a lot of it weirdly does. It, it actually does. And, and I thought of that as a joke at first, but then I really thought about all of, almost every single thing. Like one of, you know, we were talking about uh, just um, prejudice with your eyes, the way that you see things, like in basketball. Like the whole Marcus All thing was fascinating. You know, by giving him nicknames. The you're a basketball fan. Oh, huge basketball right. fan. And I know. And Marcus All is an amazing player. And his brother Powell, of course, played from Memphis. Played for the Lakers. Won a champ- couple of championships. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I know Golden State's the best team in the world. I get that, you guys. But um, but that idea of looking at a player and Jeremy Lin falls into this, which is fascinating. I think he played up here first, right? Yeah. But because he's Asian, it's like that motherfucker can't play no ball. You know? yeah, that's right. I mean, people had that point of view about him. And you, know, and you know, brothers were saying that, absolutely. But brothers will give it up to you once you can play. It'll change from that motherfucker can't play ball to that motherfucker can play ball. So, so I, you know. yeah, no, but I tell you what, I, <laughs> like, I they don't even what, pronounce it when they're really impressed the with you. Brothers were, brothers were especially bothered by the fact that this Asian guy had joined their club. And, yes. they, and when, when Shane Battier was play, is a friend of mine, he uh-huh. was playing for the Miami right. Heat at the time. And I remember him telling me when the Jeremy Lin phenomenon went, you know, when, yeah, when, when he was lighting it up in yeah. Madison Square Garden, they went to go play. The first time anybody stopped him was the Miami Heat with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And, and Shane Batty said, when he was coming, LeBron says, I'm guarding him. And Dwayne says, no, I'm guarding him. And they were all, they were going to shut it down. And you think about it. They had to just prove this they had to prefer, that yeah. Asians can play basketball. Because there are a billion of them. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. Well, that's I exactly never thought of it right. Like that, and so that the, 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 okay, pre- the for right once thing. prejudice was working in the favor of a black person. <laughs> and, you, and, there, and now this guy's going to come right. in. First, and the white it. man takes our job. Yeah, yeah. But, but Still our so, music. You, so you have like it's a, it, it, they they really wanted to shut it down. But the thing in the beginning of the book is it's with first part of the book opens with the general manager of the Houston Rockets. Yeah, who's trying to keep because of these guys in part because of these psychologists keep the intuitive judgment of mm-hmm. his scouts out of his decision making process, and he and he's swatting it like flies. He can't get rid of it, <laughs> and he sees it every so. And the Mark Gasol thing that they're trying to decide whether to draft this Spanish seven foot center. Yeah. And he looks good. His statistics are good. The models say take him in the first round. They're all ready to go. Everything and then, looks good. And then someone pulls a picture up 
of him on the internet without a shirt on, and he's got boobs. And, and, and they start calling him man boobs. And, and, and when they're referring to him in the room, it's man boobs this, man boobs that. And Daryl said, I'm sh- this is why we didn't take him, that everybody's mind started to get screwed up. That's and so amazing. after that, he banned nicknames in the draft room. You weren't allowed to give anybody a nickname because it distorted your judgment. Whether they were positive or negative. Yeah. And you, th- yes. You weren't allowed to compare a player to another player you liked unless they were of a different race. Yes. Because you couldn't say that's, the, that's like, he's like Michael Jordan if he's a black guy because, because he maybe just looks a little like Michael Jordan. And that if you did something, if you, if, if you broke that, that connection and you made them say, well, yeah, that Asian player is like Michael Jordan. They didn't do it. Right. Uh, or that white guy's like Michael Jordan. They didn't do it. And so he thought that was, so he, that was banned. Or they think all light-skinned guards are like Steph Curry now. Right. Well, so they, there's, there <laughs> light-skinned are... They are being the NBA is being flooded with six foot tall <laughs> light skinned right, guards right. who are pretending to be the next Stephen yes, Curry. Yes, that's so great. There's one right now, uh, Trey Young at Oklahoma. Well, he can play. Trey's got. Well, he game. can play. Yeah. But they were a bunch who couldn't play who were coming through saying, "Hey, guess what? My game's. A lot, I look a lot like Steph yeah. Curry." Now the fact is, I wonder if I could get away with it. There's a. Uh, what do you think, Walker? <laughs> <laughs> He's tying his shoes. I think, yeah, he He's doesn't not even pay attention anymore. to you. <laughs> What's interesting is that there is a power in nicknames. I mean, going back to Trump, because I know that's what you guys want. Um, no, but look how powerful he used nicknames. Um, I was talking, Malcolm Gladwell was on um, my TV show, and I asked him to describe Trump, and he called him an empathetic bully, that he has this uncanny ability to look at, to take out someone's weakness, you know, to find that weakness and create a nickname out of it. Like yeah. his, that's probably his, his uh, biggest talent <laughs> is being an empathetic Billy. But all of his uh, nicknames really kind of worked. I mean, by him calling, what did he call Jeb Bush? Low energy, right? Yeah, yeah. But that low energy thing, it was amazing how it just took him down. Little Marco. Yeah, little Marco, Lion yeah. Ted, and it shut them all up yeah. one at a time. Even Crooked Hillary, yeah, it sounded silly at first, but after a while, people just said, "Okay." Yeah, no, I know it is. It, it works. It absolutely works. It, and it didn't matter if you liked Trump or not. I think he did it, it with kind Stormy of Daniels. In. I don't think he did it with Stormy Daniels. <laughs> Stormy Daniels, she's already got a name. That is her name. He, yeah, he called your Stormy. So I, my yeah. mind is, I, I, I haven't, <laughs> I've been, I've actually been, I've been, I'm writing about Trump right now. Are you really? I just got back is from Is that Washington. your next thing? It's just a magazine piece, but I just got back from Washington. And I can't, I just, Stormy Daniels has, yeah. has given us the best view of Trump that we've had. Well, she's I, had some amazing views of Trump. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Some, uh, yeah. some that I don't want yeah. to imagine. Thank you very much. Ooh. You just did. Yeah. I saw it. You ima- yeah. You, yeah, you're still imagining it. Well, so so Stormy, the Stormy Daniels. Did you read the interview? No, come on, Michael. You didn't. What the which interview? The In Touch Magazine Stormy Daniels interview. Every word of it's true. I promise you, every word is true. It, this stuff does not. That she me. was chasing around in tidy whities No, no, no. The best. No, the parts that people are just missing. There's great stuff yeah. in this. She walks into well, please, his, she walks into his hotel she walks into his hotel room mm-hmm. and he's watching Shark Week on a loop. Oh yeah yeah right? I heard about that. So I believe that. And he says and he says to her he she said it was weird. He says he's terrified of sharks. And that and <laughs> and, and and he's anybody who wants to watch him, right? This is a guy who marches through the world <laughs> pretending he's not afraid of anything. Right. But when he's in the hotel room he wants to go find the thing he's most afraid of and watch it on a loop. And he sit, so he's sitting there and he says you know, I give a lot of money. To, yeah, think about this. I give money to a lot of charities, but I never give money to a shark charity. All right. So, so let me just add, let me just can I can I just can I just propose some here? I'm I'm trying to imagine what shark charities. Yes. So, are like trolling my inbox right yeah, now. Yeah. You know? so, but let me just. I mean, I can like imagine a lot of responses to shark attacks. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to give. Money. I don't imagine there's a lot, but I, I imagine uh, between ah, what the fuck, or like, or like, <laughs> aren't they fast? Aren't they? Yes. Fast? I can't. I, I can't imagine. Your my first thought is I'm not going to give money to any charity associated with them. Like it's he's a, offended by sharks. Like, like sharks offend him. But think about what he did in his head. So this is a guy who's like, he's obviously very tight-fisted. It's not clear he's ever given money away to anybody, really. Yeah. I mean, he had a charitable fund, and he used the money to have a portrait of himself painted. Right. right? So, so, so he's not a- exactly a charitable guy. So his yeah. mind goes to charity, 
when he's thinking of who he's not going to give. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's now yes. that's the opposite of it's charitable. Right? He uses yes. charity as in an uncharitable way. It's yeah. just like a beautiful view of the character. He, he really is amazing when you think about it. When you think about it, he is amazing. <laughs> he is a character. This turns into an appreciation of Trump after. But, you got, after but I think we start, yeah. we've gotten to the point where we don't see him anymore. Because yes. just, yeah, I think, right. and she, she opened up a window. I mean, I think he's at his most sympathetic when he's with, his, with a porn star. I mean, uh, <laughs> that she, he kind of let himself vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I'm scared of sharks. I don't think he'd do that with Melania. Uh, 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 I think I think he keep that to himself. Okay, so what is the epiphany about that interview that that really got to you? That's all what, I got. Just the sharks. <laughs> that tells. I know anything else. That, I know anything else. So and so, what is going to be your point of view of the piece? Are you going to take? Are you going to start from there, from the sharks? And well, the, the idea was it was a dumb it was a dumb idea, but it may be coming off that I was going to go to Washington and be given a White House press pass and i got one of those and a pass to the senate badges that let me go anywhere right and and just go see as many interesting people in as many interesting situations as i could <laughs> uh-huh. and write a diary and and so it actually ends i watched the state of the union uh last week at steve bannon's house with him really yeah you were uh, at steve bannon's house so uh there are there can't be mirrors in that house right <laughs> <laughs> that's impossible am i right i mean because you just need one to go, whoa! <laughs> How did I get up? <laughs> it was true that the funny thing, you know, I, Sorry, I was going into Steve Bannon's house. Yes. I, there was a homeless guy. Wait, you're going to have to unpack this. No, hold on one sec. No, no, no. Can I just say something? No, wait, wait, no, no, no. How does, how does one start the process of going to Steve Bannon's house? Before you enter the door, go back, go back to either the invitation or the impetus or the breaking in, whatever it is. I mean, I don't even know if Steve Bannon was there. <laughs> Did you break in? Now, I, that would be awesome if you the broke into Steve Bannon's house. The first two times he wasn't there. Okay, but the good. third time he was there. Right. No, Were you there so with no, Stormy so, Daniels? So the way it worked, the way I work was... Yeah. I was just looking to have interesting experiences. So you called him up or what? Yeah, I, well, I got his email. I got email addresses for all Jared and Ivanka and right. Stephen Miller and all those people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I sent them all an email. Sam Did comment. you start like an email chain with them? And it was all private. Just do a lot of reply and all with that? Sent, I sent them all notes yeah. and said, I'm there and I'd like to come see you, have a cup of coffee. Yo, yo, what's up, Steve? It's, yeah, uh, what's up? It's I, your boy, M. Lou. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you really want to know what happened? Yes. Or you just want to riff on it? Yes, no, right. I want right. to know. Because yeah. so, I'll tell you what'll ha- what happened. I right. sent him a note saying, you don't know me. I, I write books. And I said, I write Moneyball. I wrote Moneyball. And I always list the, the movies because I assume no one okay. reads the books. Right. So Moneyball, <laughs> Moneyball, The Blind Side, and The Big Short. So I wrote those. just thrown in like the color purple or just something else. <laughs> you know, just, to, you know, just to confuse them. So, wow, he's written a lot. Wow. Black like me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just you know, something black like, like that. Me. Yeah, just a random movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Continue. <laughs> and, I, and I said... I, I, so you wrote an email to Steve Bannon, right? And to everybody else. Right. And, uh, and he wrote back and said, no, you wrote Liar's Poker. And I, and I said, yeah, I wrote Liar's Poker. And he said, how, about, how long are you around for and come on over for lunch. So I went over for, for lunch to his house, mm-hmm. and there was this odd connection. Please tell me what you ate. Chicken salad sandwich. Uh, that was it. And nothing. And, and he, he's a caprice. Well, so this was the connection. Was some of the chicken salad on his shirt? <laughs> Be honest. I was going to tell you. So he, he, dre- he has a look, right? And, and the look... <laughs> It's like hoarder chic. His no, it look. isn't. It really is. The look, I, the, the look, isn't it? I mean, the look it is. is the look is white homeless. Yeah, that's the look. It's, okay. it, that's what he looks like. Yeah, he, lo- yeah. he looks more like the homeless person than the homeless person right. who's outside of his house. No, there's a, no question. A homeless person would say, "Hey, man, you okay here? Take this." Yeah. Okay, so he had chicken salad. No, the connection was uh, the, there was a connection, and the he connect- liked Liar Spoker. He was a fan of that. More than a fan, yeah. he arranged, He bought the movie rights. Really? Yes. So he he was. I didn't know this. He was when he got to Hollywood and set up his firm. He put in business a production company. Yeah. And gave them Liars Poker and said, "Buy this." And he had the whole story about what had happened with the movie, and it, it was all it all jived with what I knew about what had happened. He completely was involved. So that was the connection. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Anyway, so I was having just a lot of... I, I don't know how we got on this, except I said I... No, because I want to know. Yeah. So, so what were you guys talking about? So I can't tell you too much, because i got to write it out first. Uh, uh, I, it's like that Nunez memo or something? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I know that's... I shouldn't... This is a little bit of a... I, I, don't, I mean, was there anything revelatory in it? Anything in it, like smoking things. gunish? No, no, I'm not. I, I don't think so. I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's like, yeah, that's well, my problem. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to. I don't know. I don't keep up with, mm-hmm. like, the investigation to that degree. Right. I, I mean, I guess if he said, you know, my friend Vladimir is coming over for lunch, right. you, you, and you want to hear what we're talking about, I'd right. figure out that way was interesting. Yeah. But, but I, yeah. I, I, if he said anything that it, that's going to make news, uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Was he an interesting guy? Very. Did you like him? Yeah, I did. What do we? What What do we not get about him? Well, there's an incongruity <laughs> to the that there. So, well, his. It's you're his, struggling now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm struggling because yeah. the incongruity. So, what you don't, what I wouldn't have gotten about him uh-huh. was the political movement that he he that he's interested in advancing. Uh-huh starts with his dad getting losing all his money in the financial crash uh losing his dad's a working class guy saw jim kramer sell said sell all your stock he sold all the stock at a fire sale mm-hmm. bannon was bannon was radicalized by the financial crisis by 2008 by the financial crisis he's furious he thinks wall street people should all be strung up i love the unironic it, use of radicalized his his hostility is aimed at mainly at elites. And he would love to glue together Bernie Sanders people with some of his people. Now, that's not going to happen. But uh, his, his view is that elites on both, in both parties are, are perfectly happy to see America in, in decline. They do fine. And his, his fuel for his movement is anger, just anger. Uh, and he's looking to whip up as much anger as possible. He has absolutely no intolerance for intolerance. He'll let anything into his movement that will make his movement bigger. So he will let white supremacists in. He will let, and he will turn a blind eye to everything except his target, which is the establishment. Now, he hated being in the White House. Uh, actually, really, really didn't like being in the White House. I don't think he, you know, his views of Trump. Did you uh, talk about Trump? Oh, yeah. But the thing is, what can I say? You know, that some of it was on just on background, and I. But I can say this: that it's like you could talk in pig Latin if you. Yeah, want. I could. There you go. <laughs> I, I say that I don't. I don't think that uh, he has any illusions about Donald Trump. I mean, like, really? Donald, I think I think Donald Trump for him was just a tool mm-hmm. uh, that he saw. Oh, this guy is a blunt instrument. This guy is a blunt. I can, this guy actually whips up the anger. I need to do. To, I think now. Did don't Trump, ask me to explain him completely because sure. I can't explain him completely. But did, did Trump seek him out, or did he seek out Trump? I don't remember how it happened. Uh, the Mercers, uh, the people. It was through Bi- Bi- uh, Breitbart. Brought him in, right? Because Trump campaign was going down a flame, right, 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 right. And Bannon focused on the anger. That was after the he whole was, Manafort debacle, and they were doing. Th- Bannon started doing things that were very odd, having rallies in places where they. Uh, where no one thought, where you could just get the biggest crowds and show the most anger. Uh, yeah. And he, he said, we ran, we didn't, he said, they didn't know anything about, I mean, Trump doesn't know anything about anything. Uh, I mean, he really doesn't know anything about anything. No, he and, really and not about know. governing or anything like I that. Agree. Uh, uh, but but it, was, it was, they went on lock her up, uh, uh, build a wall, <laughs> and it was just, there's those slogans. Uh, it, it was, uh, and, and that was it. That was all I had. So it's listening to him talk about it. He's not dumb. He's just not dumb. If the, what what poisons there are lurking in his soul mm-hmm. don't come out obviously, and I'm just sitting there having lunch with him or spending a few hours with him. Uh, it's clear, interesting. It's funny. It's funny about being the Grim Reaper. Yeah, I think he thinks. I think he thinks that was the beginning of his end of his relationship with Trump was when Saturday Night Live. Completely. Yeah. I think that's yeah. it. Yeah. That, that, Anybody that gets more attention yes, than Trump in that's any way that's positive, they're done. Saturday Night Live can right. ruin people's political lives by just doing that. They could yeah. do that routinely. They could pick whoever they... Well, if they Al Gore on the lockbox and yeah. he was done. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. But so uh, so it's... A, it's 
Anyway, I, it was interesting. But I did a number of these things, and I'm, I'm writing it up now. So Trump's on my mind a bit. But the Stormy Dan- Daniels interview, Stormy Daniels really deserves to be paid attention to. Well, do you, do you think – I don't – Trump to me, I said this the other night, he's like Terminator 2, you know, to me. I mean, you think these things are destroying him and busting him apart. And then all that orange liquid alloy, metal alloy, <laughs> it just forms itself back. And it's almost like he's stronger than he was when he started, you know. I, I don't know if there's anything that can take him down because, I mean, he is so normalized. I mean, shame in a way that it hasn't been normalized since Richard Nixon, I think. was pre- Even Nixon would say, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this. You know? so Bannon would disagree with you. I think he thinks, Bannon thinks there is a thing that's going to take Trump down. Really? Yeah. You mean uh, something in his past, you mean? Two things. There one, th- one, the one of them. There's one of them that. One, one might be. Ape So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> see, see how I brought the pig Latin back in? Yeah. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> well, your son's here. I don't know. You know, you can feel yeah. free. I'm trying to be respectful here. Yeah. Feel, no, that's all right. He, he <laughs> He's watches, heard everything. He watches. He, <laughs> He's yeah, he, well, he, would tell, he would tell you his thumb is up. It's like no, Larry, would, the P tape. Come on. Who hasn't heard of that? No, what he would tell you, what he says, anybody who goes there with him, he says, I watch South Park. There's nothing you can Oh, yeah. There's nothing you uh, but, I hear you. But, but the. the um, is that, is, it's the time's up. It's time's up. It's women. But nobody cared about that. No, no. Trump's, the polling with Trump and women is scaring the hell out of the White House. White women were with him to a surprising degree in the camp, and it's starting to collapse. So this movement, I believe, Stormy Daniels, Matt, yes. all of I, a sudden. I have such a different opinion of this. I think Trump and polling, it does not matter. Hmm. Because I think everybody was fooled by polls in that first election. Polls said the opposite of what was going to happen, or not quite the opposite, but they told a completely different story. I think, I really do think when people go to vote, it, it's a binary thing that's happening in that voting booth, you know, normally, you know. And I don't even think they voted against Hillary. I believe that they voted for Trump against Obama, is my opinion on that, you mm. know. Like most, um, well, thank you very much, but. Um, well, it started with the whole birther movement. The well, energy wait, that wait, was wait, created. Wait, 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 wait. You think they voted against Obama? Correct. Vote for Trump? Why did they vote? For, why did they vote against Obama when he was running? Well, they, because Obama had brothers voting for him. That's yeah. why. But, but they, <laughs> there but were they, too many black like, people. Like, Look, no, hold on, Michael. Right. When black people want to change an election, they can. You know, they can get out and change it. You saw what happened yeah. in Alabama. The black woman came out. Black people, they're, they're the one group that can really change. First of all, most of their, their vote is for one party. You know, but when they really come out in numbers, they can really change elections. And the black, it was an historic black vote that voted for Obama. And, and they surprised people. You have to remember in 2012, all of Fox News was shocked when Obama won yeah. because all of their analytics said that Romney was going to win. And they were all shocked, you know, because, you know, nobody's going into the black neighborhoods to ask how they're going to vote. <laughs> or, but it's not even so much how they're going to vote, it's Who's going to vote? How many people are going to actually show up? And that was the cookout. And niggas showed up to the cookout is what happened when Obama ran. Once again, I apologize, man. That's all right. But um, so to me, the Trump vote is a vote against that cookout that happened during that eight years. It was against the left. It was against Obama. And it was against all of that. Of course, it was, I think it was epitomized in Hillary. She was the avatar for it. But I yeah. think. No, I agree with you. A third of the country went crazy when a, a black man was elected president. And, and they hated everything that he represented. Uh, the gender equality issues, you know. Reason yeah. and accountability. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You know, he called it hope and change. Yeah. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. They hated that. Hated that reason. All I, that reason. I believe it was a reaction to that. So to me, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to, if, like if the economy does well, you know, it's very difficult for an incumbent president to be voted out. It just is, you know. Please give me some hope right now. Well, I think there's hope. I think there's a lot of hope. But, it, but, but you never know. You're right. You never know what's going to happen. Yes. Uh, so I don't, but Bannon thinks, B- Bannon would give you hope. Really? <laughs> I never came to this talk today <laughs> thinking <laughs> that someone would say Bannon would give you hope. And a part of me goes, really? <laughs> And I'm thinking so that it on. could we can, happen. We can move on from this. Are we yeah. going to see? No, wait. I want to stay in this a little bit more. Are we going to see a redemption story with Bannon? Is he going to, is he like this um, alt-right um, caterpillar that's going to go into this cocoon and emerge as 
like some savior to the Constitution right now? Or is that's that what going, you're saying? That's going too far. No, uh, <laughs> no, that's going that's going way too far. But no, he would give you hope that Trump is very beatable. He thinks that wow. Uh, so I, I and I think he is too. It is amazing though. You know, watching what's happening now. We took the premise. We th- a lot of people were thinking mm-hmm. Mueller finds out that not probably probably not that uh, stuff about colluding to swing the election, mm-hmm. but probably stuff about Trump's financial past. Mm-hmm. With I Russia. think so, right? right. Because this is a great mystery. I completely agree. So with the that. Trump Trump in 1989 is bankrupt. The, and not only a bankrupt, yes. all the New York banks think he's a liar. They won't do business with him. He has no access to capital. And the wall, to the plans the wall, the wall falls. You've got these Russians who are stealing their, the natural resources of Russia really quickly. Yes, plundering. And they, you've got instant billionaires. And Trump all of a sudden has starts to have relationships with Russians. And I, I, you don't know where he got his money from. from yeah. I, I, that's, I think that's the kind of... Do you the think there's a longer in. Putin connection with Trump than yes. we even realize that goes back maybe 25 years or Maybe something? not directly with Putin, mm-hmm. but maybe with people who want to, the oligarchs that are sponsored by Putin right. and indulged by Putin. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And so that investigation might end up there. But, and I'd have thought, well, that's going to – and that could blow him up. Yeah. However, they're doing a really good job of, of making the investigation seem like a – uh, a politicized, uh, politically motivated. Mm-hmm. They're, he's managing to sell pretty quickly his base on the idea the FBI is now corrupt, which is, I mean, it's horrible. It's crazy. Horrible for the country. Everything he's doing is horrible for the country. Well, he's uh, just, but, do you think he's destroying the Republican Party? I don't know. I don't know. What's there to destroy? <laughs> uh, I mean, what's left? I mean, what's left? What's yeah. noble and good in that thing? The Republican mess Party, that? they do have an ability to cannibalize anything that's good about yeah, them. I just don't know yeah. what, what, what's, what's left there that, uh, to, for him to ruin. Uh, but he's – so I, I'm, I'm feeling less and less good about the power of this investigation. Mm-hmm. It depends. People got to vote. That's what's got to happen. People yeah. got to vote at the midterms. And you, you swing the Congress – to the Democrats, and then the problem is going to go away, I think, pretty quickly. Yeah. I think it's going to end up, the investigation will turn up stuff, and it'll be impeached. It's funny, um, one of the things, going back to the book, is that, yeah, please. But they got to vote. So well, let me ask you this. Yes, ask me whatever you Why want. Why don't, if, if black people can swing an election, why don't they swing the next one? We'll see. Why, why? Maybe time to start paying up and get I, something out of it. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, white people, you need us now. All right. <laughs> we gave you Obama. You had him. You had him in your grasp and you let him go. <laughs> we'll see. You never know. I mean, like I said, what happened in Alabama might wake a lot of people up, uh, especially the, I think a lot of younger people are getting more interested in politics. People slam millennials a lot, but there's a lot of great energy in that age group right now of people who are really yep. interested. No, seriously, who are interested go. in things. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, what's funny is that uh, because I was talking to David from the, the other night, and he brought up something interesting that um, because we haven't had a lot of the types of wars that we had, like the World War II type of thing, or even Vietnam, where, you, where there are so many casualties and people know the hardships of what that is, and the lifestyle that comes out of that, you know, people get used to a certain type of living, comfortableness, let's just say. You know, there's no real threat to our lifestyles to a certain to a certain point, you know. And I think it kind of affects, it kind of gives them a laze to things like wanting to be excited about politics and that type of thing. But I think people are waking up. I think Bernie Sanders had a lot to do with that, of waking people up to at least be conscious of the fact that there are things that are at stake and that you can make a difference by voting, yeah. you know. So I'm pretty, I'm kind of hopeful about people, you know, coming out and doing things. But we'll see. 2007, 2018 elections are going are gonna to mean a lot to that. We'll see what happens. Um, traditionally, I like to go by tradition, trends, and that kind of stuff. Um, I think we're going to see a big swing, definitely, in 2018. But to me, that doesn't mean anything's going to happen in 2020. Two different things. Do you find you default to hopefulness or do you default to fatalism? I default to realism more than anything else because I'm not a conspiracy theorist, you know. Like, I've always told people that I'm a passionate centrist, and I don't mean that in a political sense. I mean that half the time I disagree with myself. (laughs) That's what I mean. Because I always say, uh, 
if, if facts get in the way of my opinion, I have to change my opinion. Yeah. That, that's pretty much how I view the world, you know. Um, I think it's the only way you can evolve as a person. If, if I'm sorry, but if facts prove you wrong, you're wrong. You know? you're, the only, you're the only person in America left who does that. Well, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, no, I mean, it is amazing. I mean, people, increasingly, people's political lives, are yes. these self-reinforcing... Uh, right, there's yeah. confirmation biases, yeah. all that. You, in your book, you talk about something called the endowment effect, which is interesting, and it's, and it's, uh, it's the unwillingness to part with something that you own, okay? Yeah. And I think that's what opinions are. People own opinions, and it's hard for them to say. I think that's exactly right. Yes. And yes. the reason why it's hard to They say, own it like a vacation home they don't go to. <laughs> yes, it's true. Why don't they sell it? Because they, they own it. Because they own it. That's it's, right. It's hoarders, right. you know. Right. Back to hoarders. I have to mention hoarders at least three times. Okay. So, but I think the hardest reason why people can't say I'm sorry is because what happens, it means that they have to disown their opinion. It's not even that they have to show regret. It's they're disowning something. They're giving up ownership of something. Right. You know. People, it's unpleasant to rethink your positions. Yes, and it, or taken, and you also start to feel righteous yes. about what you, the way you view the world, and right. your your friendships and relationships are based on that supposed same those same views. Right, and so it's risky to you know to say, hey, yeah. I like Steve Bannon. Yeah. Like you know, yes, if I said no, that, I, I call it. my wife to I, say, hey, you know, he's not a bad guy. She was she almost hung up on me. I was going to say, uh, and, and, if she's still home, and, and when so you go yeah, there, no. Right. So it's just it's just right, good it's, luck with that. My daughter gave it to me over the like, don't you dare write something nice about Steve Bannon. Yeah, and uh, she just gave you the finger. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Even but, the boyfriend's like, yeah. But it, but it's it's you know, you, but the inter- I find everything that's interesting is when you take yeah. that fa- that new data in. Wow, I didn't. This guy's not what I thought. Right, and then try to start to make sense of the world from there, rather than deny the data. Yeah, uh, I, even if I believe you, I'm still not giving it up for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't had the lunch. You haven't had the chicken well, sandwich. That's true. That's true. Yeah, but there's also a thing that I like to call loyalty blindness. You know, where people have a blindness out of loyalty. Like the whole Trump White House is like that too. Like, yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh man, no, the Republicans are it's much worse. It's crazy. Than the I, yeah, I said they're in the sunken place with it. As far as uh, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I mean the the lies the lies that Trump says and the way they contort themselves, you know, to support these lies. I've never seen anything like that. It's beyond even what loyalty blind. And you know what they would say if you they were just listening to you say that very reasonable thing? They say he's a hater. That's their thing. That's their go-to thing. He's a hater. Yeah. Uh, CNN, they call it, they think it's, it's, they're all haters on CNN. CNN is just trying to kind of basically do their best, I think. Uh, I mean, but they're, they're in, in some ways bending over backwards when they, when they have an opportunity mm-hmm. to give Trump the benefit of the doubt. So when Michael Wolf runs around saying that, okay. well, well, they went after his, you know, the, right. a lot of the journalists saw this as an opportunity to show they could be fair about Trump by being nasty about Michael Wolf. Uh, yeah. and w- without actually backing away from it and saying, oh, the White House is not denying a lot of this. You right. know, you know, it's maybe actually, acted maybe it's fast, actually right? true. He may be, uh, he may be a sinister journalist who plays fast and loose with the facts most of the time. In this yeah. case, he seemed to be mostly true. People weren't mad at him. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we go to some Q&A and uh, see what some people have to ask. But, uh, we, uh, the like, audience really, let's, we can drop the pretense now. The audience right. ought to feel, you know, perfectly Come on. Happy asking him the questions. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Questions for Michael. Yeah, yeah. Questions for. Uh, I think we'll go with uh, with the, wherever the microphone is. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> oh, lights. Very hands over here. Oh my God, there's people there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Gentlemen. Did you meet, have any other interesting conversations when you were in Washington? Obviously, Bannon was fascinating. You must have met a lot of people when you were there, and I know we're short of time that you can't. Probably relate to everyone, but was there anybody else that was also? There's some I can't tell you. Who else did you have chickens out? Oh, there's someone else. No, there are are some I can't tell you about now. But I I mean, there was it was endless. Right now, Trump has made our government so interesting. I mean, the threat to break it all apart uh, is made is taking people who previously lived in black and white and colorized them. So I mean, I spent an, an hour and a half with a guy, the poor guy whose job was chief government ethics officer. 
There's an oxymoron if well, I've ever heard one. He'd had this job for basically 15 years and had done it very, very well. And he just kept his head down and had an eye shade on and tried to keep everybody out of trouble. Oh and he was just God. like, and this, then it rolls in this, this shit storm and he, and, ru- and ruins his life. And he was just this ball, I mean, of, of misery. And he, now he's gotten himself. So he's on CNN sometimes complaining about them and all. He wants none of that. Like he wants no attention, nothing. So, I mean, there was lots of moments like that. That was a great moment. There was another fun. I mean, it's the, I, as I said, it was kind of setting up sort of situations. And Michael Govan, who's the head of the LACMA, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, he was kind of like the it curator. Mm-hmm. Um, I, had, I had him to dinner at the, at the Trump Hotel so he could give me an aesthetic sort of like interpretation of, of, all, of, 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 of what, I, what was there. And it was actually beautiful. It was wonderful. So it was a lot of that kind of thing. Very good. I have nothing to say. Not, <laughs> I've never met the Tangerine Edie. I mean, no, I've never met her. Um, who's next? Oh, here. Someone back here? Okay, yes. I was wondering if you guys would talk about um, an issue or a policy that you think could be changed in the government that would really make a difference. An issue or policy that could be changed? What was the last in part? In the government that could really make a difference. You go first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think, and this is going kind of as a cousin to your whole Bannon observation, I think Trump actually does want to do something on DACA. And I believe it's because I think Ivanka has talked to him about this and has talked him into it. And if you listen to his words, he kind of betrays that he actually does have, he's sympathetic for it. In fact, he almost made that deal with Lindsey Graham and, and uh, I think it was Durbin. And they had to run in there and say, wait, Mr. President, that's not what you think. <laughs> you know, it's so amazing to me. You know, the, the, the ways they have to run to tell him what he actually thinks is breathtaking. You know? But I think DACA is the one to me that, that I think there will be a compromise on if Trump has anything to do with it. If it's just the Republicans, maybe not. I mean, I was, th- I was thinking the thing I, if you were like, what I could change, you give me a magic wand and I get to pick one, it'd be money. It would be getting money out of politics. That, 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 that's just... If you could make a change. That's just huge. I mean, if you, if you, if essentially you get publicly financed elections and, and you get rid of this, it does a whole bunch of things. They waste so much of their time raising money yeah. in their, when they're in Congress. Uh, but then, you, of course, you get these horrible distortive effects. And that problem is only going to get worse with growing inequality. Uh, I mean, it, we're really lucky we have really rich people who are willing to lean against their narrow interests mm-hmm. in this country. The Warren Buffetts and Jeff Bezoses, and I mean, thank God for them, right? And George Soros, thank God, because if the money was all on one side, we'd be doomed. Uh, and so before that happens, it would be nice to get the money out of politics. I think it should be like The Voice. You know, you just turn around, everybody in chairs, we can't see the candidates. <laughs> uh, who's next? We have a question up here in the orchestra. Yes. Oh, very good. Hello, Michael. I've enjoyed so many of your books. I do read. And the question is, um, I've read so many of the financial books. Are you going to tackle cryptocurrency coming along in the future? Cryptocurrency. So uh, the whole Bitcoin thing, I thought, you know, I had this sense of obligation a couple of years ago that I should go learn about this. Yeah. And I went down to Silicon Valley where a guy called me and said, I have a house filled with Bitcoin entrepreneurs down here, and you may get to meet Satoshi, who like the guy who created Bitcoin, and we really want you to tell the story. And I went down, and there were like a dozen guys smoking weed in a house, and they all had these visions of <laughs> the fu- all had these visions of the future. Uh-huh. And that's not that they, they were interesting, up kind of, but then they said, uh, "I said, well, you know, this is money, right? This is a, they said, yeah, it's going to be the money of the future because the governments can't control it, et cetera, et cetera." So. Uh, well, what does money do? I mean, it's supposed to be a store of value. Well, this thing goes up and down like a gazillion dollars every day. So, you know, you, that's the last place you want to store a value. Uh, it's supposed to be a means of e- exchange. Uh, so I'm supposed to be able to go be able to buy stuff with it. And they said, this is already happening. You can already buy stuff with your Bitcoin. I said, I didn't know that. I said, really? It was two years ago. They said, yeah, there's a coffee shop down the street. You just go buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. So the guy put five bucks of Bitcoin on my phone and walked me down 
to buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin just to show that it could be done. Mm-hmm. And we got in there, and after 20 minutes of fiddling with a phone and the people behind saying, we really don't want to do this, we gave up, and I gave him a $5 bill. And it really worked, the $5 bill. Yes. I mean, like, it was incredible. I got my coffee. Right. Got some change. Analog, and, baby. And so that was – I kind of just – I just thought – you know, this is net. Yeah. We already have the you know, currencies we have right. work pretty well. And uh, brothers have loose cigarettes. We don't need Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What that, I have no I, idea what that means. But I kept that. I kept. I walked out of there and I couldn't figure out if I ever want to write about it. And yeah. I kept the five dollars on my phone. And I looked down you at have the Bitcoin. I looked down at it like a month ago and it was six hundred dollars. <laughs> That happened to a fifty cent, right? No, I, yeah. I sold yeah. it. I sold it, but but it's uh, but it, wow. <laughs> so it was it worth the trip. But it was. Yeah. But I just I don't you know for me I don't think oh this is a I, I, every now and then I succumb to that weakness. There's like oh this is a subject I should write about. Uh-huh. I ought to go find out about it. But what usually draws me in is some person. Yeah. Uh, Steve Bannon drew me in well enough. Steve Bannon reminded me of a character in The Big Short. He's seeing the world in a very cockeyed way, yeah. and I'm not sure he's entirely wrong about all of it. And so that was interesting to me. None of these people who were smoking weed and telling me about the future was Bitcoin. I, I just, it, sounded, it felt like a Ponzi scheme. It's like yeah. they own a bunch of Bitcoin, and if they get me to write an article saying this is the future, they drive Bitcoin up, they'll, you know, that's what it feels like to me. Uh, and so I don't, um, I don't have any real interest in it. I've never really found the character. Yeah. So the likelihood is not, not great. Yeah, it's interesting. You have to find that character. That's the person I want to be with, yes. right? I never, I'm, it's always me. I'm always using, I'm just, I'm just sucking blood out of some person to get a book. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, I, I understand. I, right. Yeah. You know, you okay. know how it works. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Someone over here? We've got, right? we've got time for two more short audience questions. Wow. Okay, I'll be real quick. Um, yeah, then, we have to go, then we have to go kiss some I, I, I went to Columbia in the 80s, and I helped organize the ultimately successful uh, divestment protest against apartheid. And the oh, opposition was led by a young racist named Neil Gorsuch. And uh, when I first saw Stephen Miller, the first thing, I, that's the same nerd <laughs> from Columbia. <laughs> and I think you met with him, and I think I, you're not telling us. I can't say. <laughs> Very nice. Not even a question, but a, all right, what's up with that? This is, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I got it. I got you. <laughs> I got you. You're not going to have to wait long. I'm, this thing I'm, I'm written, you'll, 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 be out, you'll be on the web on Wednesday. Oh, nice. Uh, all right, one more. Very nice. Bloomberg News. We yeah. have our last audience question over here. Yes. Thank you. So going back a little bit to the Steve Bannon conversation and the the conversations you had in DC, which are fascinating. <laughs> what is what's your next re- retrospective? What's the end game of all this disruption? What's the point of taking down our institutions? Mm-hmm. I understand. Is he avenging his father's losses in two thousand and eight, or is there some vision of what this is going to create besides additional destruction? Mm. So, what do I think? You ask me. What do I think Trump thinks he's doing? Bannon. Oh, no, Bannon's, I don't think, Bannon's now out of it. Uh, so I don't think Bannon thinks he's doing anything. What is, it, what is Bannon, th- so what did Bannon say is the point of all this destruction? Um, he wouldn't, so there's destruction. I, I thought you were going to ask me a different question. What, what am I going to do about it? Uh, and I think, because I think the thing I fear right now, I fear what's going on with the government, the government, the, the, the dismantling of the government. The government has problems, but if that doesn't work, we're in real trouble. And they're doing lots of things that disable the government, which I think actually Bannon disapproves of a lot of that. He's, a cross, he's crosswise with the administration. Mm-hmm. Um, Bannon would say, like, we're headed towards a great revolution where the elites have their heads chopped off. And, I mean, he's Robespierre or Lenin. That's how he feels to me. And, and I don't think that's true. I think he's wrong, but I think that's where he, he's, he, it's going. It's going. Taking, taking the taking the 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 country back, the workers taking the country back, kind of thing. What do I think that? that's going to happen? I do not. But um, but that that's probably what he'd say. 
There's always such a distorted view of the past with anyone who says they want to go back to Yes, that. that's know? exactly right. You want to go back to lynchings in the South? You know, that's exactly right. It's, it's, well, they may want to go back. They may, well, <laughs> some of them do. Right, yeah. Some of them do. And that's right. it, 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 people have if – you, if you put a gun to someone's head and say, okay, the past was so – and I should have asked him this question. But, you, you know, okay, there was a golden age in America, and you pick the time. Pick the date. You want to swap places with someone living then? No chance. It's, it's that no chance. Uh, I think Fran Leibowitz had the best idea on this, where she said, everything always seemed better yesterday because you were younger. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was better. You were younger. Or you were one of the exalted <laughs> unborn. Uh, but but yes, the, I mean, it's yeah. before, he wants to go back to periods before he was alive. And uh, so I, I, don't, I don't get it. Uh, I, I think I do agree it's a neurosis. Yeah, it's almost like American carnage is more of a plan than an observation. Hmm. And on that note... That was cheery. <laughs> that was cheery. Well, Everybody's hey going to be feeling, feeling um, good. I know. Um, thank you so much for coming out and for having my guest Michael Lewis here from Black on the Air. Such a fun conversation. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure. I want to see that Steve Bannon book. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs>